Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Sound of History Podcast. My name's Nick. My name is Mika. And this is a podcast where I attempt to teach Mika music history and she attempts to care about it. Why do you always hesitate before you explain the concept of the podcast? Because I feel like we're several years in and it's we pretty much know what's going on by now. I'm just trying to figure out the right words because I've never it's never been like set in stone or smooth. So no. Well, this is just is just raw. This is just this is a raw podcast. I don't I don't know that we want that reputation. Raw dogging it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Follow us on social media. We only have the one basically at this point. <laughs> Twitter.com slash sound of history underscore. Uh, leave us a review rating on iTunes, wherever else you can do that. I don't know. We don't know how things work. That's uh-huh. why we do so well. All right. And by we, I've never known how things work. I think you know how things work and I just, I'm just here, man. I barely know how things work. Yeah. Okay. I think that's all I got. Oh, right. Mika's the host now. Mika is the host now. Okay. I have anti-plugs. Again? It's like the third episode in a row. I'm a very negative person these days. I think yeah, it's nursing. Apparently. I think nursing told, turned, I think <laughs> nursing turned me into a very negative person. Maybe. I don't know. Is that bad? <laughs> I'm having a total like identity crisis. <laughs> What are your anti-plugs? My anti-plugs, I forgot, no, one of them, no, I shouldn't say that on, on <laughs> there, out there with the world. There was, there's a player, there's a player in MLS that I have decided I oh, don't like, and I wanted to heckle him on Twitter, what? and oh. I didn't. I was like, what do you mean, what? you heckled him quite a lot I during did. the game. <laughs> I did, but he couldn't hear me. I wish he could. I didn't like him. I don't, I wanted to heckle him on Twitter, but I have self-control okay i've only ever gotten in one twitter fight actually it was on instagram one instagram fight and it turned out to not be a fight but i think that's because instagram didn't let me call him i can cuss on this right i already cuss yes but minimally all right well instagram wouldn't let me call him an asshole it like was like, are you sure you want to say that? And I was like, fine, no, because it wouldn't <laughs> let me do it. And then Who he apologized. In Instagram. Fight it was with- after we were. Uh, it was after the awful PK uh, game, and he playoffs? was talking shit, and I was just like mad at him. Okay. And I wanted to call him an asshole, but I didn't. And then he was like, yeah, you're right. I just wanted you to lose because then my team can win. And I was like. <laughs> And that's the story of how I almost got in a fight online. Okay. My other anti-plug is short nails. I don't like how these look. I've been able to grow them out a little bit longer in the past, and then they all broke off because they're weak, just weak nails, and they broke, and now I have short little nail nubbins, and I don't like it. It feels weird. I want to be able to go like when I like. I don't tap. like that. I love it. It's the best feeling in the whole wide world. But you just go. It's the best. It's very annoying. What? <laughs> I wish you could feel it. It feels so great. And my plug is 
if anyone likes and listens to worship music. I really have been enjoying Judah of Judah and the Lion did his um, individual solo project. And it's just called Judah. And it's it the music is fantastic and it's calming. But then it gets exciting because, of course, like, you know, like it's it just is that's the style. But it's very like meditative and calming in that way. And I like it very much. And I have listened to the album probably 20 times since I found it two weeks ago. Cool. It's only 55 minutes long. That's pretty long for an album. Yeah. It's 10 songs. That's pretty long for 10 songs. It's like an average of five minutes a song. They're very meditative. Okay. It's really good. It's really good. All right. If if that is of interest to you, highly recommend. Mika is no longer the host now. Okay. So, do you remember anything that we've been talking about in the like three weeks that we have not recorded this? Wasn't the last one Queen? Yes. Arena Rock. Which yes. I don't agree with as a genre. And then before that, we were kind of in the like the end of the 60s with a lot of like psychedelic rock and stuff like that and Woodstock. So we're carrying on. We've talked about a few different ways that rock has kind of like branched off since it was born in the early 50s. We've talked about metal and uh, I can't think of any of the other ones we talked about that I haven't already mentioned. Oh, mama, welcome to the 60s. <laughs> Whoa, 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 But we're carrying on with the theme of rock kind of like breaking away from the traditional blues rock style. And today we're going to talk about soft rock. Oh, I like soft rock. And it reminds me of the John Mayer album Sob Rock. Okay. Which I think is an immaculate title. Okay. So what do you think of or who do you think of when you hear soft rock other than John Mayer? Well, yeah. I don't know. I'm undecided on if I would classify him maybe earlier stuff. I don't know. As, I'll listen to him, so I don't know. Soft rock? I don't know about that. Um, if I think of soft rock... See, my issue here is that I feel like I listen to it, but then if I... Like any any artist that comes up, I kind of am like, oh, that's a little bit more like soft pop. Well, then how would you describe soft rock? Like... Rock music, but chill. Okay. Like Tom Petty? Yeah. I think he'd fit. I also think Fleetwood Mac would fit. Yeah. 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 And Elton and Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Billy Joel very much. Well. Those are our next two episodes. I don't know that I would say Billy Joel. Is Billy Joel really soft rock? He's either soft rock or singer-songwriter. See, I don't know if I would call him soft rock because to me, so many of the classic songs that I think of are piano as like your main melodic instrument. And if I think of like rock music, I'm thinking more guitar. I guess. I think piano can be a rock instrument. It can, but it's not like the main. I think Billy Joel's definitely soft rock. Okay. Because so is Elton John, and he's also piano. I don't know as much of Elton John's music. Well, Elton John's a lot of different genres. So. 
do know the Lion King very yeah. well. Very, very well. <laughs> okay. Well, with rock exploding commercially, it's really no surprise that people found a way to make it even more commercial. <laughs> Soft rock took a lot of the edge and the grime off of rock. It made it palatable for the everyday person. I'm annoyed with my past self for putting that word in this script. Because it's so easy to mispronounce that word. You did it, though. Yeah. Soft rock kind of merged the characteristics of singer-songwriter music with arena rock. It was an easy-to-listen-to sound and became insanely popular. I'm just thinking through all of the artists now and I'm trying to distinguish where the line between soft rock and like a pop, more pop sound is because soft rock is commercial and then like pop is commercial. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I mean, I feel like there's no hard and fast line. Like people probably bounce back and forth yeah. throughout their career. Cause you know who originally came to mind was floor but i think that they're a little bit more poppy yeah a little bit more vibey sure but like some of it well i don't i wouldn't call them soft rock i wouldn't call them soft rock either that's why i didn't say them that's just like the first thing that came to mind because it's like soft and chill but still Mm -hmm. like it's like a quiet energy type situation i think i would call Bad Books, maybe? Bad Books is definitely soft rock. It's weird, though, because it's singer-songwriter. It's just two singer-songwriters together. making. So I guess it's Hall & Oates, which is soft rock. Yeah. Or Simon & Garfunkel, which is soft rock. Yeah. So, eh, I, guess I they think fit. that they're very soft rocky because it's also... They go into when it's, like, loud. Yeah. And, like... Ah! You know? Yeah. That's the edge. A lot of the rock that we have talked about so far was created to subvert social norms. It was loud. It was aggressive. It was chaotic. Soft rock is not that. It was created to be pleasing to listen to. It focused on pop hooks and pristine audio production. Unlike other forms of rock, it had major crossover appeal to fans of R&B and pop music. A lot of the artists had massive chart success because of that. But it also means that they aren't looked on as favorably in the modern era. They can kind of sound like sellouts sometimes. Or at least as uninventive compared to other artists of the time period. Before this, the lyrics of rock songs generally kept pace with the community. They were abrasive, countercultural, and rebellious. Soft rock, again, was not that. It took the edge out of the lyrics and made them more upbeat, approachable, and friendly. It played into what the execs of the record labels wanted. Kind of let them take back the power and put forward a product that they were comfortable with. Hmm. Some of them I don't trust, so (laughs) I don't know why we're giving them artistic control. I don't know that it's artistic control. Like They probably had no say over the... Well, nah, I can't say that. They probably did have say over the music, but it was more just like... Like these old white execs probably didn't really understand Led Zeppelin or Queen. But then you hear like Hall and Oates, you're like, yeah, I can get behind that. So it's probably more just they understood it more. Soft rock, dad rock. It's a, yeah, it's a subgenre. 
And some of this can make it sound like soft rock was just industry plans creating boring music. And some of it was. Some artists were that, but many weren't. Many of the soft rock artists created truly amazing songs and albums. People like Elton John, Carole King, John Denver, and Billy Joel. I don't know who John Denver is. He also... No, that's a different guy. Um, I don't know. I don't think we talk about him, so you don't have to know. John Denver. And of course, all of that is debatable. There's a lot of people... Take who, me home, country roads! Yeah. There's probably a lot of people who do not like their music, but... Yikes. Me. But still, these are iconic artists who created debatably amazing music. Don't take me home, country roads. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> They just happen to be lumped into a genre that is not respected in rock music history. That's sad because I'm a big fan. I like it. I like the vibes. Like it's easy Mm -hmm. listening that doesn't make it not artistically valuable. Yeah. I am on record that my most controversial music opinion is that Billy Joel is one of the most underrated artists of all time. Is he? I don't understand why that's controversial. Because he is one of the most successful and loved and like popular artists. So like people, there's no way he's underrated. Like he's top five selling artist of all time. Like he's like, he can't be underrated, but I think musically he is. People don't look at him as talented as a musician. Yeah. Which is dumb. Yeah. Like I've never heard someone besides you be like, oh my gosh, I love Billy Joel so freaking much. Like, no one ever does that. But there should be more of them. Yeah. That's why he's underrated. Yeah. I think people just, like, when I think Billy Joel, they think we didn't start the fire. And that song is not his best. And he has admitted that, like, he's like, I get why people hate that song. It's kind of ridiculous. Well, yeah, it's ridiculous. That's, like, the part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous is a part of music. Anyway, we're going to talk about Billy Joel for probably over an hour in a couple episodes, so we'll save it till then. As you'd expect, soft rock dominated the radio and the charts. That led to it gaining mass popularity in the American and UK public. Soft rock was everywhere in the like early to mid-70s. Soft rock really got started in the mid to late 60s. It can trace its roots back to the 50s, but it took the singer-songwriter explosion of the 60s to really become a dominant force. I wouldn't have thought of the 60s as singer-songwriter blowing up. It was like the folk revival happened in the 60s with people like Woody Guthrie and okay. Bob Dylan and all of that. So that okay. kind of singer-songwriter, more that's folk. That's right, Bob Dylan. He was also in the 70s though, so he's just kind of transcended. There's no way they're going to hear that on the recording. Bob Dylan is immortal. Is that better? Yeah. I don't think it was. So soft rock kind of crept up and blew up around the same time that heavier styles of rock were getting really popular. Stuff like the arena rock and the metal that we've already talked about. So listen to those episodes if you want to hear more about that. The first couple of songs that really showcased the softer side of rock and how popular it could become was the Carpenters' cover of Close to You, which was released in the summer of 1970, and a song called Make It With You by Bread. Make what with you? It. (laughs) 
Have you heard of bread? Yes, I've heard of bread. It is in the pantry. It's like the most generic brand name for a very generic sounding band. Like, it's just perfect. It fits them. There were a couple of earlier songs, like Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond. Ba, ba, ba. And some Bee Gees songs, who are disco, but they did soft rock too. But the Carpenters started a trend of song after song hitting the top 40, and that kind of trend would become soft rock. Young the Giant is soft rock. They're also kind of just indie rock. See, that's like a weird line. I don't know. I don't know where they land. Cindy. <laughs> Karen and Richard Carpenter were both born in New Haven, Connecticut. Richard was quiet and reserved, preferring to spend his time at home playing the piano. Karen was outgoing and loved playing sports. Are these siblings? Yes. Okay. I have always thought that the Carpenters were married. I think that's a fair assumption. I mean, it's a guy and a girl singing love songs. Like, you would... I don't know. You just get that idea. Uh, They were four years apart, but were very close and shared a love of music. Richard took piano lessons, but grew frustrated with the formal teaching and preferred to learn by ear. By age 14, he wanted to work on music professionally and attended Yale School of Music. In 1963, the Carpenter family moved to L.A., hoping it would offer Richard more musical opportunities. Dude, their family just up and moved to L.A.? That is support. Richard and Karen started a trio with a friend of theirs to do the singing until Karen became more confident in her vocal abilities. Karen was playing drums at this point. Richard and Karen Carpenter signed to A&M Records in 1969 after the label owner became a massive fan of Karen's voice. They signed as just Carpenters without the the because of bands like Jefferson Starship that didn't have an article and they thought that was hip. They released. I, I support that. Yeah. They released their first album in 1969 that was widely loved by critics but didn't sell enough to recoup the cost that the label put into it. So the label decided they should focus on creating a hit single instead of an entire album. So Richard started working on a new arrangement of the song Close to You. They struggled with the recording, so they brought in a legendary session drummer so Karen did not have to play drums and could focus on singing. The song released in 1970 and quickly became a number one, staying there for four weeks. Here is a long time. Close to You. girl drummer maybe I can't think of other ones Mm -hmm. 
right, that's her close voice to you, is so straight. Like mm-hmm. they fell in love with her voice. Like yeah. maybe that doesn't showcase it well enough. Like we only listened to the very beginning, but. Mm-hmm. After that, the Carpenters had a string of radio hits and successful albums until 1978. By that what time, happened in 1978? By that time, Richard was addicted to quaaludes. He realized that he had a serious problem and stopped touring so he could like, get it in check, leaving Karen to fulfill a few dates on her own and assure people that they wouldn't be splitting up. Richard decided to take the year off to focus on his rehab. He also really thought that Karen had anorexia and he urged her to get help, but she denied it and wanted to keep going. So she worked on a solo album. That's generally what people with anorexia will do. Yeah. Just saying. The album was expensive and people hated it, so it was never released. By 1980, Richard was mostly recovered from his addiction. As, I mean, you never really get recovered from an addiction, but he was sober and they resumed work as the Carpenters. Karen also looked healthier and happier. They did a few TV specials and released a new album in 1981. In 1982, Karen sought treatment for an eating disorder with a psychotherapist. Let's go, girly. Later that year, she called the psychotherapist and said that her heart was beating funny and that she felt dizzy and confused. She admitted herself into the hospital and was put on an IV drip where she gained 30 pounds in eight weeks. After that, she moved back to California and claimed that she was cured. She'd stay at that weight, which they said was 108 pounds, for the rest of her life. I don't know if that's accurate. That's just what I saw in an article. I would article. hate for everyone to know how much I, like, Yeah. especially, why does anyone know how much an anorexic person weighed? No idea. Like, can you imagine outwardly being like, yes, I'm admitting myself to the hospital mm-hmm for anorexia and then like the news broadcasts your weight to the entire country are you freaking kidding me to be fair i don't know that that happened that might have been something that came out after she passed away i don't know maybe but i'm just thinking that if that was her post-hospital weight and she gained 30 pounds like that's she was that's rough it's no wonder she felt bad yep on february 4th 1983 her mother found her unresponsive on the floor of her closet. She was rushed to the hospital, but it was too late. After 20 minutes of waiting, the doctor told her parents and Richard that she had passed away. Are you serious? The autopsy stated her cause of death as, oh boy, emetine cardiotoxicity, cardiotoxicity due to or as a consequence of anorexia nervosa. Damn. Since her death, Richard has continued to produce work from some of their unreleased recordings. I don't think he's done a much he's done much outside of working with old Carpenter's material that he's just kind of like reproduced and reissued. Alright, so that's the Carpenters. That's awful. Yeah. I did not it's a very know that. Sad story. Holy cow. Now, how old was she? What? You said how old was she? Uh, I don't know. It was 1983. And they were, I don't know when they were born. 50s? So 30s, early 40s maybe. That's awful. 
Okay, now we're going to talk about the other powerhouse of early soft rock called bread. I have another question, though. Okay. Why are the Carpenters soft rock? It didn't sound like rock. Did they ever, did they have other rockier sounds? Like, what's their song? What's their song? Yeah. I don't know. I think you're leaning too heavily into it has to sound like rock. Like, it doesn't. Well, this isn't it. It's It's just kind of like rock. Like, think about rock as like bare bones, like a somewhat driving rhythm. You have a guitar, you have drums, you have a bass. You have like a band, so it's not just a person sitting up there singing. You've got like melody, pretty simple melody, like early rock stuff. Like Little Richard, just you turn the volume knob down to like two. Okay. So Bread was formed by David Gates and Leon Russell, who knew each other from the Tulsa, Oklahoma bar scene. Leon introduced David to Jimmy Griffin. So David and Jimmy started Bread, inviting in a couple of other guys to fill out the lineup. They moved to L.A. to see what the music environment looked like out there. Apparently, they landed on their name when a bread truck passed by as they were talking about it. Oh, my gosh. David said, quote, A bread truck came along right at the time we were trying to think of a name. We had been saying, How about Bush? Telephone pole. Oh, ah, my God. Bread truck. Bread. End quote. Wait, no, no, it's not in quote, sorry. It began with a B, like the Beatles and the Bee Gees. Bread also had a kind of universal appeal. It could be <laughs> taken a number of ways. Of course, for the entire first year, people called us the Breads. End quote. <laughs> That's so bad. It's <laughs> yeah, not great. Oh my God, no, I like, I'm obsessed with it. I'm just going like, lamp. That's one like, of my <laughs> favorite things, the more you dig into it, is everyone thinks there's some like, massive story and meaning behind bands names and half of them are just like ah we were drunk and throwing around words and it sounded cool yeah that's how they come about it's literally new band name i called it yeah (laughs) their first album was not really successful peaking at number 128 on the charts but it still got on the charts so that's something but their second album released in 1970 peaked at number 12 and cemented them as consistent radio favorites good they released a single called Make It With You, which would be their only number one hit. Here is Make It With You. Look at those guys. Oh, you missed them. They were just dads. Hey, have you ever tried? I'm absolutely vibing with their with their <laughs> really reaching out for the other side. I may be climbing. Why does this guy in the back look like he's like, ah, ah, ah. This is the kind of music I grew up with. Like, this is what my dad was listening to when I was a kid all the time. These guys and the Doobie Brothers and Elton. Right. 
Let's make it with you by Brad. I'm so confused. By 1973, constant recording and playing shows, along with the label prioritizing the songs written by David, led to some internal strife in the band. Then in May of 1973, all of their equipment was stolen before a show. So, as you do, they just decided to disband. Okay. (laughs) Seems like an overreaction to me. Oh my goodness, they were looking for any reason. Yeah. But they got back together in 1976 after a couple of rough attempts at solo careers when the label wanted another Brett album. It seems like it was very easy for them to get, hey, we want another album. All right. Easy to disband, easy to come back, easy to name. They're just chilling. They toured in 1977 in support of their comeback album, but ended that year with no further plans to record as a group. They've done a couple of reunions, but are mostly happy working on their own projects slash being retired. So not nearly as sad of a story as the Carpenters. What What own projects? I mean, probably producing, writing for other people, maybe some solo albums here and there, solo tours. I don't know. Just the stuff that you do when you had a very successful career that didn't last long. Got it. Through groups like The Carpenters and Bread, soft rock became a staple of the radio scene, but probably wasn't seen as super artistic or innovative. That changed in 1971 when Carole King released her album called Tapestry. Get it, Carole King. Carole was born in Manhattan in 1942. Her mom, who learned how to play piano as a kid, began to teach Carole basic piano skills from about the age of three and real lessons, including how to read music by the age of four. Carol said, quote, My mother never forced me to practice. She didn't have to. I wanted so much to master the popular songs that poured out of the radio. End quote. Cute. Carol started kindergarten when she was four and, after her first year, was sent directly to second grade. Oh, my goodness. I mean, yeah. if the kid can read music at yeah. four. I couldn't even read at four. <laughs> music. In high school, she started a band and started to make some demo records with her friend, Paul Simon. Of Simon? (laughs) Of Simon and Garfunkel, yes. Simon of Simon? Yes. Nice. In college, she met a guy named Jerry or Gary. It's G-E-R-R-Y. I don't know how that one's pronounced. I think it's Jerry. It's giving me Parks and Rec. And I think that we should just call him Larry. Okay. So she met Larry Goffin, who would become her primary songwriting partner. Also her husband, after she got pregnant at 17. I almost said something all cute. And then I was like, (laughs) I'm not sure where this relationship is going. Carol and Larry worked day jobs, but wrote in the evenings. And by the mid-1960s, had racked up a string of songwriting hits including one that Carol eventually recorded herself. So at this time, she's writing for other artists, if that's not clear. Okay. But her sporadic recording career was basically on hiatus by 1966. By 1968, Carol and Larry had divorced and had basically lost all contact. That sounds, yeah. Yeah. The reason you got married is because you got a kid. Carol moved to L.A. and started a new trio. While in L.A., Carol met and became friends with James Taylor and Joni Mitchell. Her first solo album in 1970 featured James Taylor on guitar and peaked at number 84 in the charts. 
Her follow-up album was recorded basically in tandem with James Taylor's album called Mudslide Slim, and it featured a lot of the same artists as like session musicians. Hmm. Both albums featured the song You've Got a Friend in Me, which Carol wrote, but James' version was the one that hit number one. Carol wrote You've Got a Friend in Me? Yeah. But oh. James Taylor is the one who like made it a number one song. I didn't even know that it was a number one song yeah. before Toy Story. <laughs> Carol's album from that time was an instant success. Tapestry was loved by critics, with one saying that Carol created an album of, quote, surpassing personal intimacy and musical accomplishment. Wow. End quote. It received four Grammys, and Carol was the first woman to win two of those categories. Get it, girly. It held the number one spot on the Billboard list for 15 consecutive weeks. Wow. And stayed in the charts somewhere for six years. It holds the record for the most consecutive weeks at number one by a female artist. Wow. The single from that album, It's Too Late, hit number one as well. Here is that single. That's still the number one on Spotify. In bed just we also have this on vinyl, by the way. I'm obsessed There's with this album. Yeah. No There's a cat. It's one of us giving is me very modern-day like lesbian vibes. album oh that was that was it's too late the carol king i like it i like it carol and that album are also massively influential in the singer-songwriter genre as a lot of these people are and we'll talk more about that in a little bit not in this episode in the future episodes there are too many singer-songwriters to pick from who the heck are we even going to talk about we'll see do you know yeah i already wrote it okay (laughs) it's Joni mitchell okay because I wanted to talk about more women because we've had a string of white men. So I wanted to get more women in there. Because I really wanted to do like James Taylor or... Uh, what was their name? Obviously not important enough. The guy, Heart of Gold. Who was that? Oh, you're talking to me. I don't know things. He's got the harmonica. Neil Young. Okay, anyway. Tapestry really helped showcase a lot of the artistry, storytelling, and intimacy that soft rock started to develop. After that, oh, here, we'll talk about Neil Young right here. After that, soft rock continued to soar with a bunch of other acts getting in on the number one songs. Neil Young scored a number one with Heart of Gold in 1972. In 1973, even Paul McCartney had a soft rock hit with My Love. By the mid to late 1970s, soft rock hit its commercial peak. So many different artists were scoring hits and being featured all over the radio. Billy Joel, Elton John, Toto, and America all had tremendous success during this period. (laughs) Toto. Yeah. So much so much so that I had trouble coming up with who to talk about next episode. I think there's could quite possibly be a few different bonus episodes. 
I think I was planning on doing two for sure when I wrote this, but I moved one till later. Ah. Around this time, a lot of radio stations throughout the country were switching to an all-soft rock format. The music was everywhere. There's really a ton of different artists to talk about in this genre because it seems like these bands just churned out music at a lightning pace. Popular progressive rock bands like Chicago and Fleetwood Mac changed their sounds to a more soft rock friendly style and both reached the height of their commercial success in the late 70s. In 1977, Fleetwood Mac put out Rumors, which is still one of the best selling albums of all time. It's so good. They were going to be the other bonus episode, but I moved them later. Cause I can't wait. They're end of this. Like they had put out rumors in '77, so I feel like I'm gonna shift them to like closer to the end of the '70s. This is really fun to look through like the soft rock playlist on Spotify. <laughs> okay. A genre that is easy. The to con- fray. Yeah, they're very soft rock. A genre that is easy to confuse with soft rock and often overlaps is called yacht rock, which is like the yacht rock club band thing. Yacht, yeah, yacht rock review. Yeah. It's basically exactly what it sounds like. Music you'd throw on while cruising around in a yacht. That's my favorite genre. Or rich old white guy music. Like, that's not my favorite genre. <laughs> but the fact that they called something like yacht rock, yeah. like, because you wanted to listen to it cruising around on a, ro- uh, on a yacht. I don't think they like, called it that. I think the name came much later. Right. I don't know who decides genre names, but I want to get in on that because <laughs> I... I feel like I could come up with some very good things. I feel like Yacht Rock is very good. as <laughs> yeah. a genre name. It started in the late 70s and early 80s, primarily out of California, but also some like Rupert Holmes, who came from New York. Do you know Rupert Holmes? I don't. He's the, uh, oh gosh, the cheating song. If you like pina coladas. Oh. I'm pretty sure that's Rupert Holmes. Whatever that song name is, I don't actually know it. A lot of Yacht Rock songs featured nautical themes in the songs and and the album art. And pina coladas. Sure. Some critics say it is the last genre of music completely separated from the politics of the day. An essential component of Yacht Rock was the exhilaration of of escape and keeping the listening easy. Yacht Rock's roots can be traced back to the Beach Boys and Captain and Tennille, who were members of the Beach Boys touring band at one point. Here's a song that really encapsulates what Yacht Rock is. It's called Sailing by Christopher Cross. So thematic. the music that plays when you're on the Soarin' Ride in Walt Disney World. Maybe. Well, it's not far down to paradise. At least it's not for me. I think there's another name for this, and it's right, called Bad Wolves. Find tranquility. Maybe. Oh, the canvas can do miracles. Just you wait. Never, never land. The reason to 
I was just about to say, I'm so bored. His guitar is way more exciting than, the, than this song is. I'm offended on behalf of the guitar. You look like you're enjoying this. Are you enjoying this? I like this song. I've listened to this song a lot growing up. That's the only reason you like it. Probably. Alright, well that's Sailing. I did not like Christopher Cross. Do you know what I realized though? What? Is Sad Boy Indie Rock an official genre? Because I think that that's literally when people are like, what are you listening to? I'm like, Sad Boy Indie Rock. Well, Sad Boy Rock has been a genre for a while. Oh. <laughs> Man. There's also like Sad Boy Rap, like Lil Peep type stuff. I thought I had something there. So a lot of the comments on that YouTube video really sum up what Yacht Rock and, in a lot of ways, Soft Rock really was. Are you reading off the bad comments? No. Oh. Good comments. They're good? People were saying things like, quote, whenever I feel overwhelmed, I just put on this song and it helps me relax. Yeah, I or, see that. quote, this song takes me away from the strifes and troubles of this world for a bit. So it gets a bad rap, but I think anything that can help people relax and find peace, even for like three to four minutes, is a good thing. You did look very peaceful. I mean, it, it those types of songs like that and like Hall & Oates and America and Doobie Brothers, like that takes me back to being a child and like sitting in the back of my dad's car just driving around Bristol. Doing that's thing when, like this with your hand yeah. you to like ride the wave. It's like that like Old Black Water by the Doobie Brothers. We listen to that all the time listen to horse with no name by america all the time like so they're just like part of my childhood horse with no name is very intriguing though have you heard that song you have to have heard that song yeah okay in the early 1980s soft rock started to be called adult contemporary by the radio stations that's awful and charts to kind of separate it from rock that's really bad (laughs) the genre also started to decline A few artists still saw success, but most of the major players weren't scoring number one hits anymore. Some artists still carried on until the 90s and the 2000s, but largely what soft rock is, what soft rock is still being played was recorded and popularized in that 70s period. And that's soft rock. Interesting. Next, we have two of probably my favorite episodes, Elton John and Billy Joel. And then we do singer-songwriter. And then we do Joni Mitchell. And that's all I have written. Whoop. All right. Any final? There's probably a lot more to say about soft rock. A lot more artists that I probably could and should have talked about. But just kind of wanted to give an overview of what it was and who they were. You two. Tom Petty. Got that one right. Hall and Oates, obviously. I think Tom Petty was more 80s. Death Cab. Yeah. Which, yeah. But... So, the thing about soft rock is that it's a little bit more hopeful. Death Cab is just, we're going to die soon. That can be hopeful for some people. That's depressing then. John Mayer, 
Elton John. Keen. Who? Somewhere only we know. Oh, Keen. I thought you said teen, like a teenager. No. I hated that band. Plain White Tees. No. <laughs> They're pop punk. Yeah. <laughs> like neon pop punk life house yeah that fits we got some cold play only a few songs more you too howie day <laughs> forgot about him <laughs> all right anything Eagles, else to add to kings of leon anything else to add to soft rock journey no is this soft is rock. faithfully faithfully is pretty soft rock okay maybe they had like a softer song that doesn't make the bands a soft rock band i would see i was just looking at faithfully i, I agree with you but like yeah and you were like that's not soft rock. i'm like that's soft rock well you didn't tell me the name you just said journey so you I didn't was, tell me the name I, I knew it in my head okay bread i made it to bread you always do eventually. Yeah. Okay. That's all we got for Soft Rock. Join us next episode where we talk about Elton John. And then the next one is Billy Joel. And you should probably definitely listen to that because it's my favorite. It's his favorite. All right. Anything else to add in? That is not just you reading the name of an artist from a Spotify playlist. I don't have original thoughts. That's what we <laughs> learned earlier. I thought I had an original thought. Turns out it wasn't original. Kind of is. Not really. It's just sandwiching two already existing genres. I mean, if you didn't know it, then you originally came up with it. If you didn't that know it was already a thing. Copyrights. No one copyrighted it. You don't know that. I don't think you can. At best, you could trademark it. I don't know how those things work. Okay, well, that's all for Soft Rock. Mika's lost her chance to add anything else. Goodbye! (laughs)